Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a conversational show about people, their stories, and how they bring community to life. My guest today is the artist and health researcher, Dr. Mark Gilbert. This show is part two of my conversation with Mark Gilbert. In the first part, Mark talked about how his art practice evolved into portraiture of healthcare patients, experiencing the traumas of illness and the surprising effects in the relationship between painter and sitter. You can listen back to the podcast of the first part by downloading it at the show's webpage, livesradioshow.com, or searching for Lives Radio Show with Stuart Chittenden on your preferred podcast platform. Our conversation was recorded by Skype. Dr. Mark Gilbert graduated from Glasgow School of Art in 1991, and his work has been exhibited in galleries and museums in Europe and North America. In 1999, he collaborated with maxillofacial surgeon Professor Ian Hutchinson and his patients. Gilbert painted, drew, and photographed patients during illness, surgery, and recovery. This series, Saving Faces, was exhibited at the National Portrait Gallery in London. In a subsequent artist-in-residency at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha, Nebraska, Gilbert produced another series, Here I Am and Nowhere Else, Portraits of Care. Gilbert's interdisciplinary investigations have expanded and embody the emergence of clinical portraiture as a field, continuing to evolve as a source of innovation and inquiry at the intersections of ethics, art, health professions education, and medicine. Since 2015, as a fellow in the Faculty of Medicine at Dalhousie University, Nova Scotia in Canada, Gilbert's research has continued. Currently, he explores relationships among elders with dementia and their partners in care. Gilbert is currently working on a book, due to be published in the spring of 2020 sharing a series of drawings carried out by his late father, Scottish artist Norman Gilbert, as he sat drawing Pat, his wife of 65 years, as she lay dying in a hospital bed of Alzheimer's-related illness. Mark, thank you for joining us from Canada via Skype today. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak to you. I wanted to acknowledge that this is a tough time for you because of you grieving the recent loss of your father. But your forthcoming book features your father's work drawing your mother. Your mother had Alzheimer's-related illness. And I wondered if you feel comfortable, if you would share a little more about that uh, experience, being um, being a part of that and witnessing that and, and now having that as part of this book. Yeah. No, I'm happy to talk about it, really. So, I mean, it was an amazing, as an, you know, all the time when I was working you know, as I was working in these busy hospitals over here in uh, over in, in Omaha and and in Canada and stuff, my dad was you know quietly getting on with his own painting practice in his studio in Glasgow, while at the same time looking after my mum who'd um, been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease um, about eight nine years ago. And so he'd been they'd been married to each other for sixty five years, and he continued to paint her even after the diagnosis. And so it's funny because his work's very decorative and I mean, it's beautiful, joyful, optimistic, you know, work that he made. And so in that respect, it's very different from my work. The aesthetics of his work was very different. 
by you know so although we were both painters that's we had that in common but apart from that we were very different but when he started doing these paintings after a diagnosis i then suddenly thought i i then you know considered these and i thought gosh you know so it didn't it wasn't you know these paintings that he did after the diagnosis they weren't just a record of an artist and sitter or of a husband and wife you know i realized that actually he was kind of our work was starting to overlap that these were also the a record of a of a patient and their and their loving partner in care and um you know in a relationship that they had that i you know i was you know i loved watching how my dad looked after my mum and frankly how my mum looked after my dad even even as she was became she was able to do less and less there was still that sense of mutuality in their relationship that was you know um, incredibly moving and powerful and and so on um but ultimately what ended up happening um and i was i was um in canada when this happened i'd just been home and uh and not long after returning back to canada having visited um in home and said cheerio to my mom and dad and my mom had she had a huge stroke from which we were told that she wasn't going to recover and so um so, the re so I wasn't there, and the reason I'm saying I wasn't there is, you know, so I wasn't there because, because I'd really just, I felt I'd almost said my goodbyes, and I figured if I go back for the funeral, then that means I can spend more time with my dad, you know, so I'd kind of made that decision. What I hadn't realised, so why I'm saying that is because, so as my dad kept vigil with my mum over the, that, that last week of our life, he then, and I didn't know this until he'd been doing it for about two, three days, he was there day and night, and what he did was carry out a series of drawings of her. She lay unresponsive, and I was gobsmacked that he was doing them. I mean, I really, I didn't quite know what to make of it, um, and I was kind of intrigued and at the same time frightened. You know, I was frightened of the notion of looking at the drawings. I didn't think it was wrong of him to do them. I mean, but it didn't seem unusual either. He'd painted, he'd drawn and painted her hundreds of times before, so it was perfectly normal. Um, so, but ultimately, when the time he he did the, so he did a whole, you know, I don't know, um, you know, I think there's about 30, 40 drawings in the collection, and then even he he did one final drawing, the moments that he carried out the moments after she died. And, uh, and it's a remarkable drawing. Um, when I then came home to then and then saw the drawings, then these drawings, you know, once I got over the fear of looking at them, obviously what these drawings did was allow me and frankly anybody else that gets to see the drawings to be able to build a picture of what happened. So it made something that was incredibly private, incredibly intimate into something that was accessible, that was communicative. You know, it made it into something that was more social. And what it allowed me to do was it almost made me have to come from behind my own easel. And I then started to realise more and more how the paintings I'd done of the people I'd worked with over the decades, you know, many of these paintings were dem were pictures of these people facing all kinds of challenges, emotional and physical. And so I, I was still always slightly perplexed. How can they, why, why was it that the people I was working with who were who were going through these experiences why was it that they responded more positively and more richly to the images than when i was just doing commissions and so on 
and I and it wasn't until I looked at the drawings of my mum that I thought I get it now, because um, these pictures represent, frankly, potentially you know one of the most traumatic moments of my life really, and you know and and what some of the one of the saddest moments of my life and yet, I absolutely, um, like my dad, I cherish the drawings. And and those drawings continue to be a fulcrum around which my my me, myself and my dad, and the rest of my family, um, to a certain extent, can you know it was a means of engagement to generate conversations that wouldn't have happened, and paradoxically the drawings, as I say, generated conversations, but those conversations could easily lead into bits of reminiscing about you know funny moments, happy moments, all these things, but the drawings were that, um, yeah, that means of engagement. And so in that respect, you know, I feel stronger for having the drawings. I feel as if I'm more resilient to what happened because of the drawings. And I've had the privilege of being able to speak and present on the drawings um, to audiences in, in, in Scotland and in North America. And we also exhibited um, in collaboration with Glasgow University. There's an end of life studies group at Glasgow University. And so we exhibited the drawings as well. And that allowed my dad the opportunity to see you know, people coming to view the drawings. Um, but it's a remarkable, um, um, it, they, they, they continue to be a, a remarkable um, series of images. But it is remarkable as well how, you know, just to touch on one of the things, as I say, his, pic his pictures are highly patterned, decorative pictures. And it's funny, even when he was drawing my mum like that, he was still picking up on the patterns of the bedclothes and the the sheets and so on um so he was still you know really what he was doing was still at a time of deep confusion he was drawing on what he knew and that was partly the practice of drawing but he was also you know using what he knew what he was comfortable with to try and make sense with what happened and it is that you know the, the notion of parrot there's paradoxes i think through you know one of the great things that the arts do is raise these paradoxes that life have in a, has an abundance. And one of the amazing paradoxes is that he spoke about when he was doing the drawings of my mum with, you know, with my mum as she was lying dying in the hospital, he said it helped him forget what was happening. But at the same time, he said, I never switched on this TV and I never read a book. I just drew her as, I, as he'd done hundreds of times before. And so it's that paradox that I was, in, one, in, in one way it was helping him forget and occupying him. At the same time, he was engaging intensely with what was happening you know he wasn't you know going to another room he wasn't distracting himself he was engaging intensely with what was happening and i think you know these kind of you know that's one i think really powerful paradox of many that that came out of his experience of doing those drawings and they continue to be generated and to made explicit i think through the viewing of the work as well and um you know so we're really um i'm i know that you know i'm still getting over the fact that no longer have my dad either and um, he died just before christmas and um, but i know that he was uh, he was he was in intimately involved with the book that's about to get published in the next month or so and um, you know and, and so that's going to be a, a sort of bittersweet thing but you know the drawing in his work carries on living um and speaking to people and things and that can be uh, that's 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 obviously that's nothing but good really
but it is remarkable how you know th those drawings were an amazing learning process and really were the you know encapsulated so much of what I've experienced had the privilege of experiencing with the people I've worked with over the last 20-25 years. I've had my heart broken in two But something's different next to you It's like my soul is set on fire But oh, I'm starting to feel tired Cause I can run but I your relationship with life, your relationship with our inevitable mortality, but, but especially end of life. How has that for you changed? Do you know, I, I, it's funny. I end up, you know, with how all these things, um, I think I feel stronger, more resilient, as a result of the experiences, more, um, maybe maybe more, I, I'm, you know, maybe more prepared for, for you know, these challenges that will come to us all and so on. Having said that, I I still think I'm just as frightened. <laughs> so you know, so the fear's still there, in abundance, but I kind of as it's so in that respect, I'm just going back to I all of this. I mean, I know these few people are comfortable in in a hospital environment, in an end of life environment, comfortable with pondering their their own their own mortality, their mortality of loved ones. But I'm always I I I sometimes feel that some people are more comfortable than I am, because really I think there's a huge amount of fear there, and so all these things force me to come from you know to take me out of the comfort zone. But I kind of I kind of I don't. It's not that I enjoy been taken out of the comfort zone but I just feel I, I guess I I I, um, I feel more purpose in having that challenge you know the the challenge of of having to confront things that you normally you would rather avoid I feel somehow um, allows me with the 
with my art, for instance, to be able to see things that I would never be able to see otherwise and so on. So it goes back to what I was saying. that I used to be envious of all these other artists that were kind of controversial and shocking and so on. Um, I, I, I certainly don't want my work to be controversial or shocking, but I, I, I feel deeply um, appreciative to be able to have witnessed what I've witnessed and to at least to be able to attempt to articulate that in collaboration with the people I've worked with. To me, the rewards of that are 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 way out are you know outweigh hugely the 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 the, the abundant challenges. You used the word ambition earlier. I'm I'm wondering if you have a larger ambition for what this work can culminate in either as narrowly as you choose to define that ambition or as broadly as you choose to define that ambition? I guess my ambitions for the work is, the work, so all the work that I've done, the different, there's been about, I think there's about half a dozen projects now that I've worked on over the last 20 years. So there's there's none of the work's for sale. So there's now, there's now six or seven collections of work. You know, some of those collections are huge big you know 100 pieces plus um you know so i realized at the very beginning that it would be somehow it would be wrong to sell the work and that the, the work had more values all the work would always had more value as collections but that's a burden for the people that you're who you collaborated with or the institutions that employed you so really my big ambition now is to really with with all this work that's been created is to you know is to continue carrying out research in how we can best use not just the images themselves, but the narratives that are associated with them. And that includes the patient, participant, caregiver narratives, but then also the artist narrative and how we can use all these experiences, both visual, verbal and so on, to communicate, you know, and whether that's in an educational capacity or whether it's to the public at large, how do we make the work accessible? What's the appropriate way of being able to exhibit, curate work like that? Because some of the images aren't, you know, are 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 fairly vivid and explicit, especially when it comes to surgical images. Um, so really, I I kind of feel that my a shift that so that somehow that the sort of picture making phase of this of the last twenty years is kind of maybe coming to an end. And that really more and more I'm thinking we we need to, you know, keep creating more and more research to, to, to justify and to demonstrate how this work and frankly how the arts and older forms can inform, you know, not just doctor-patient relationships and medical interactions, but how it can inform, frankly, any compassionate relationship. You know, one of the things I realised very early on when I was working especially when I was working in Omaha, when I had the privilege of working with all the patients and caregivers in Omaha, it suddenly dawned on me as somebody who had never been a patient or had to look after somebody, but it suddenly dawned on me that we are all going to be patients and caregivers at some point in our lives. And when you realise that, it's amazing how little provision there is for that in education of any sort. So although a great deal of my focus is on health sciences, education, medical education, nursing education, I really think, um, again, I think the arts do come into their own when it comes to, you know, I would I would love if there was curriculum, high school curriculum, 
that would be using the arts in all their forms specifically to look at the experience of being a of patient and caring for somebody. Take a chance and wait, stay light as a feather, a feather. Shake away the weight, couple things you... You're listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Trust when you fall in every risk you take. Knowing redemption's always on its way. Let all the courage in you start to wake Unafraid, unafraid I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. My guest is the artist and health researcher, Dr. Mark Gilbert. Our conversation today is being recorded by Skype. You so articulately talked about such profound issues around existence and art and humanities and our noble spirits. But given some of your comments, I can't help but ask, for many of us, being in a hospital space is difficult. We tense up with the anxiety of um, being in a space that that feels challenging to us and intimidating. Mm. And I think many of us find that we just don't respond well. For many of us, for example, we go into the room, the hospital room of a loved one, and after the first few seconds of talking we just have no idea what to say or what to do and it gets really uncomfortable and and so I'm wondering from your perspective having to be so vulnerable and so intimate if on the prosaic end of things you've just found uh, you found the experience to be uh, um, similarly challenging um, these people are experiencing all sorts of difficulties and, and there could be any number of things that go wrong or any number of awkward silences. And I just wonder if you've had those experiences too. I mean, the awkward? No, I mean, really, you know, how I get through this is because of, the, you know, I, I thought you were going to, I thought when you were, when you were asking, it's a fantastic question that you've asked. And I thought where you were leading to was, you know, how do I, how do I deal with that? But I think this, you know, the answer I would have given to that, to how I deal, you know, is to how I answer actually what you did ask was that the relationships, you know, um, diminish that. You know, the way we get through those awkward moments 
is, you know, going back to the relationship, that compassionate relationship where we both, where everybody involved is entering into that relationship with a sense of curiosity and which is a challenge, you know, it's a challenge even for a, an, you know, for an artist, for a, a doctor, for anybody to be able to maintain that sense of curiosity. That's, I mean, really, that's in many ways is the biggest challenge is to be able to sustain that sense of curiosity. But as long as you do that, then I think you're you're on you're more likely to then build generate these kind of trusting relationships that nourish and support. And um, I, so I, for all my neurosis and anxieties, I. I get through it because of the people I work with and through that relationship. You know, I couldn't do it otherwise. And uh, and there would be more if the if the if the relationships were um, weren't trusting or or compromised in any way, then I think there would be more awkward moments. But it doesn't. It genuinely it doesn't happen that much. I mean, the really it's it's. Uh, that sense of collaboration and just being in relationship with somebody is incredibly, uh, it's not just a support, it's a, it's a, it's a nourishment, it's, it's fundamental to being able to, to deal with that. And again, the parallels to that when it comes to, you know, notions of, you know, what physicians, nurses, caregivers are having to deal with, as well as the patients, you know, and so as we think about notions of, 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 of physician burnout and so on, it's so pertinent, especially in North America. Um, you know, I think sometimes medical education, um, you know, I think it's not just a case of relationship. It's a case, it's a case of actually, the, you know, many times the caregivers, whether that's professional or familial, accepting their own vulnerability and realise actually the person that they're helping can help them as well. And you, But they have to be open to be helped. So, um, you know, and that's something I realise, you know, hugely that the people who many people I'm working with are incredibly physically vulnerable and you know, maybe limited in what they're able to do, but that doesn't stop them being a, you know, a incredible support and and um, and and yeah, nourishment to me as a person. Never mind as a researcher and artist. I certainly don't envy any of the situations of your sitters, given the context. But I think one thing that we might, listening to you talk, find that we do envy is the building of an intimate relationship that has meaning and purpose, because I think that's a common human condition. So I'm wondering about that in reverse. You've been doing this for more than 20 years, and I, I want to ask you, are you yearning? I don't know if this has happened for you already, but are you yearning to be a sitter for someone to capture that for you? Well, that's that's a, that's a great question. Am I yearning to be a, a sitter, literally or met- metaphorically? I mean, actually, would I be? 
I often think, would I want to have my portrait painted if I was in the same situation? My hunch is probably not. <laughs> but it would seem selfish, you know, deeply selfish not not to not to do it since so many people have done it for me and very few people have said no. Very few, surprisingly few. Um and also realizing the value. But again, that notion of once you're in that situation, I, you know, I think probably at the end of the day, I would, probably would say yes, but I don't like doing self-portraits. I don't like looking at photographs of myself. You know, I don't like seeing myself, hearing myself. Um, so no, I think I'd be just as uncomfortable, maybe even more uncomfortable. Um, I used to sit for my dad all the time. But he kind of, he kind of, you know, the, the, his drawings were, you know, the biggest discomfort there was just the act of standing in, you know, strange positions for a, a length of time. Um, his pictures weren't really portraits. Um, so I was comfortable. The notion of being drawn isn't one I'm alien to, but to be actually kind of looked at for a, intently for a long, long time, like I do with the people I work with, um, I don't think I'd be I don't think I'd be comfortable, but I think it'd be churlish and probably and deeply selfish if I was to say no. But but um, I don't know. The study just now somebody one of the the analysis is is proposing that I should do a self portrait just to kind of see what it feels like and how I feel about it. Um, well, we'll see. But no, I, I it makes me appreciate your question. Actually, is something I don't consider that much, and it raises you know it makes me realise all the more the vulnerabilities of the you know just considering how i would feel not just having to attend hospital for whatever reason but how i feel about actually sitting there while somebody's looking at me with such and in so intently for a length such a length of time um you know it's not something that you do lightly or let happen lightly um again it's all the more gratifying and you know to you know a testament to the people i'm working with how you know, not only do they say yes, but they don't say, I don't want to do it anymore. They'll keep coming as long as we're working on the picture. This has been a substantial part of your life, both as a professional and uh, as an individual human being. You have, as it were, 
touched on to something about the human psyche and how we experience the world. But you have a particular field within which you have explored and developed that insight. Do you see the practices that you've developed and um, the areas of human experience you've explored in other places in your life? Do you look at the world more closely, for example, because of the way you look at sitters? Do you establish relationships that aren't of uh, this clinical kind? Do you establish and look at your personal relationships in a different way because of the work you're doing? So I'm, I'm wondering what parallels you see outside of your work in the world and in your life. Gosh, I think, um, I, yeah, I think there's, there's a, probably a big difference between personally and, and, um, and, you know, and what I see. So I think, you know, that value of watching you know, I think being more aware of just the way people work with each other, the you know, the sort of relationships that they have, you know, watching, you know, I've got a far stronger sense of what I feel collaboration should be and, and not just the arts, you know, even sports and so on, how they can feed us, how they can help us, you know, the relationships. Yeah, what makes a good relationship? You see everywhere, you see all around about you and so on. So I think I'm much more attuned to that, to the sense of collaboration, the, the, you know, and the sense of not just the benefits of collaboration, but then also the tensions in collaboration. You know, and again, it's that almost kind of paradoxical thing. Some of the work I've done, there's been a huge tension, especially, um, frankly, when I, when, I returned, when I was doing my PhD. But out of that, out of those tensions came massive rewards. Um, partly because of those tensions, you know, I think that was just part of the journey and, you know, an important part of the journey. And so, you know, so it is a challenge and I don't underestimate it, but I do, th you know, I, I think if you still come into the, the if the relationships are you're still entering into that relationship with a, an openness and a generosity of spirit, ultimately um, the benefits will outweigh the, the, the challenges. my own life I really don't you know so that's that's one so I, that's one side of your question when it comes to my own relationships I don't know I feel as if my own relationships have probably suffered a little bit actually as a result of maybe as a result of I'm, I don't know I'm necessarily as good on a, on a sort of on my personal thing when it comes to relationships a great deal of the work I do I spend far more time with the people I'm working with than I do with with um, friends I you know I think probably on the whole i you know, my my life working on these studies is one of, I would say, of pretty much you know, fairly isolated over and apart from working with the people I'm working with. So I don't think that's, I don't advocate for that. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. But, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. I can't say that it's kind of made me better at relationships in my personal life. 
Um, but certainly viewing the world and just politics and so on, then I, I you know, as I say that the 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 trust that's needed in relationships, the insecurities, the uncertainties that are in relationships, all these things that, you know, these are all things that I think I'm much more aware of. Um, and, you know, and I, I, I do watch and I'm, I love watching collaboration. I love uh, one of the best things I did over Christmas was just go and watch it. You know, my dad had just died before Christmas and I went to Glasgow's got an amazing theatre called the Citizens Theatre. It's a sort of repertory theatre. And I went to the citizens to see their Christmas play and I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And it was just, you know, and that now again, that's what the arts can do is that you're watching, you know, you're watching this this company, this theatre company, all working together with the musicians and the actors and puppetry and so on. And it was just one of the most, you know, that capacity of the arts to do what that did for me at that moment when I was feeling in, it was, you know, that was, I left the theatre that night feeling, you know, a foot taller, and I can, you know, and, and stronger, and but with more feeling, you know, I felt like I felt felt the world more, and that was, you know, in a, in a good way, in a powerful way, and uh, and uh, you know, and, and so that's something that I think the arts are able, you know, when it's done well, are able to do in abundance, and um, so I, you know, so watching relationships is almost as re- rewarding as being in them. so terrified as a culture of um, sickness and aging and we like to push those things into either a cloistered environment where we don't have to look at it accepting your comment earlier about an over cynical approach or attitude but we try to think of things more technically and scientifically than we do throwing our vulnerabilities and human selves at this yeah no absolutely you know and it is you know that kind of specialism that happens that means that everything kind of gets goes off into its silos i have to just you know that's also the arts are guilty of that as well of working in their own silos and again the challenges and rewards of um you know one of the things i'm a real um i can get all evangelical about is that notion of is of the challenges and rewards of interdisciplinary work and there's huge challenges of you know i've got i can there's been moments of, of genuine friction, you know, working as an artist in this field. And um, but the rewards are huge as well. And out of that friction comes amazing things. You know, it's all part of the learning experience. But it is, you know, it's that notion of a genuine collaboration is when both parties enter into that relationship, accepting that they will be changed. And um, and whether that's happening on either side of the easel or whether that's happening, you know, by uh, an institution inviting an artist in to be to do an artist in residence you know 
if it's a genuine collaboration, both parties will be changed and will learn from it, um, or all, all parties will be changed and learn from it. And that's something I I um, I, th I feel like that can be lost. Um, but I feel it's an absolutely fundamental part of of life, frankly. And um, you know, and again, it's something that I would never have been able to have experience, let alone, I, I don't know how I would have learnt such things if it had not been for what medicine's given to me. And I'm not diminishing what the arts have given to me as well. The arts give, you know, have, have nourished me all my life. Um, but the medicine has, uh, you know, I've been changed fundamentally by the experiences and, can, you know, as I say, I continue to be. And I like to think actually many of the, you know, what I've managed to do is also that the work the images, the relationships have been um, influential in other people's lives as well, to a greater or lesser extent. My guest today has been the artist and health researcher, Dr. Mark Gilbert. Our conversation today was recorded by Skype. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. This show is part two of my conversation with Mark Gilbert. You can listen back to the podcast of the first part by downloading it at the show's webpage, livesradioshow.com, or searching for Lives Radio Show with Stuart Chittenden on your preferred podcast platform. If I make a mistake, you can deal with it or if I if there's a if somebody comes bursting through the door or something like that and also this chair's less noisy actually that'll be sitting on the other one is awful noisy and squeaking so this one might be there we go all right okay there we go That's the end of this week's show. Our sound engineers are Mark McGaw and Dalimar McTizik. I'm your host and producer, Stuart Chittenden. Live's radio show is an executive production of Squish Talks. Find links to podcasts of this and previous shows via our Instagram and Facebook profiles at Live's Radio Show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life.